Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32, and then we're going to skip to verse 39 and read verses 39 through 43. The story comes from the crucifixion of Jesus. Listen and read. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. May God bless our understanding, the reading of this, his holy word. Amen. The gospel writers... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who give us the life of Jesus, tell us that Jesus spoke seven final words, really phrases, seven final words as he hung on the cross. And these are often called the last seven words of Christ from the cross. Several hundred years ago, Christians began to gather on Good Friday, the day they commemorate Jesus dying on the cross, to hear these last seven words of Christ from the cross, where preachers would preach on each one of them, seven sermons, with hymns and prayers interspersed between them all. Uh, The service continues in many churches today around the world, and it lasts three hours. It's a very moving service, a seven last word service. Um, I don't know if any do the full three hours around here, but I do know on Good Friday at noon, First Pres downtown does a one-hour seven last word service, and I recommend it to you. Last week, Pastor Lillian Montes was here, and she preached on the first word from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And I don't know about you, but all week long, that message and that word has been ringing out in my mind as I have been thinking... uh, of my need to forgive others and to extend forgiveness to other people at all times. Today we come to the second word from the cross. And I think even in Lent we have to laugh a little bit, so let me me share this story. It's about an old beloved pastor who was dying. And he sent a message for his tax agent and his lawyer to come to his deathbed. And when they arrived, they were led... Uh, into the pastor's home and upstairs to where he was literally laying, dying, facing his final hours. And as they entered the room, the pastor motioned for the tax agent, for the lawyer to come and sit on each side of the bed. And he grasped their hands and he kind of sighed and looked up with a, a look of contentment. Well, the tax agent and the lawyer, they were quite touched. They were quite flattered that the old beloved pastor would ask them to come at his final hours. But they also were a little puzzled because they knew, or they didn't have any clue that he particularly liked them very much, being in his congregation. Finally, the lawyer asked, 
very quietly leaning down toward the pastor. He said, Pastor, why did you ask us to come today? And the pastor was able to open his eyes and got up the strength to say in a very weak voice, my Lord Jesus died between two thieves, and that's how I want to go too. And my apologies to the tax agents and the lawyers in this congregation. I love you. I welcome you to my bedside when I die. Jesus was crucified between two criminals. And actually, Matthew uses a word in his gospel for these two men, which describes them as bandits, or the word means uh, can mean insurrectionist. Today we would use the word terrorist. Jesus crucified between two terrorists. The crucifixion was reserved for only the worst of the criminals in the Roman Empire. Those who hung on crosses were vermin. They were the most evil, not even worthy of a dignified death. And they were crucified for all to see. These two criminals on either side of Jesus were not merely misguided. They were men of violence. They were killers. They were ready to steal. They were ready to violate. They were the worst of the worst. Isaiah had prophesied of the Messiah that he was numbered with the transgressors. And so it was for Jesus. He was numbered with these transgressors. And to one of them, Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. Gary Wills, the Pulitzer Prize-winning writer, calls this the promise given from cross to cross at noon. Today you will be with me in paradise. With me in paradise. What happens to us after we die? Where do we go? What is it like? And what are we like? There's a lot, of, um, a lot of interest in uh, what happens to us in the afterlife these days. People writing books about um, dying and coming back again and writing books on heaven, what they saw, what it was like. And is paradise heaven? Why didn't Jesus say, today you will be with me in heaven, if that's what he was talking about? Why paradise? And what is Paradise. Paradise is actually a word from the Persian language, so think Iran, okay? Now, the Old Testament was written in the ancient Hebrew language, and when the world became mostly a Greek-speaking world, they translated those Bible books, books of the Bible, the Old Testament, into ancient Greek language. And when they did that, when they got to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2, they used the Persian word paradise instead of Garden of Eden. So if you were to read uh, the Old Testament in the ancient Greek translation, when you get to Garden of Eden, it would say paradise. They use that word. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve eat from the tree, which God forbid them to eat from, they're driven out of the Garden of Eden, driven out of paradise. And a flaming sword, if you read it, a flaming sword and, and a cherubim, an angelic mighty creature, is put before the tree of life to guard it from anyone ever getting to it again. 
Now, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uses this word paradise again. And he writes about himself being caught up into what he called the third heaven, and he calls it paradise. He says it was a place where he heard things that cannot be told, which human beings may not utter. Go to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where there are seven letters written by Jesus to seven different churches. And to the church, the letter from Jesus to the church of Ephesus, we get a staggering claim. The Lord says that those who overcome, that is, those who love God to the end of their lives, will be given the right to eat from the tree of life which is, it says, the paradise of God. Paradise. They will be allowed to eat from the very thing that was cut off limits because of human rebellion. The curse has been reversed. And then at the very end of Revelation, the very last chapter of the Bible, the last scene in the Bible, we see this. A river of water is flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ, And on either side of the river, it says, stands the tree of life, that tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding fruit every month of the year. And we see a place where the nations, it says, are healed. There's no longer the curse of the original Garden of Eden. The servants of God see the face of God, and there's no more darkness, but only the light of God in Jesus Christ. It is glorious. It is paradise. It's a little difficult to get a handle on exactly what happens to the believer when he or she dies. On the one hand, Paul in his letters writes about believers being asleep until the final coming of Christ. And then the dead in Christ will be raised altogether on that last day. Until then, they're asleep. Paul seems to suggest that when we die, we're kind of in this sleep-like state until Christ comes. But then Christ says to this repentant terrorist on the cross, today you will be with me. So let's just take Jesus at his words this morning. Let's just take his words. Paradise is Jesus' kingdom where he is and where we are with him after death. Where we go to be with Jesus is a place beyond words in our imagining. Paul, in another letter, calls it an eternal weight of glory Beyond all comparison. What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, what God has prepared for those who love Him. And maybe paradise is even outside of time to stretch our minds and blow our minds just a little bit more. But maybe the bigger issue isn't what paradise is so much as how do we get to be in paradise with Jesus? And who gets there? Those who live good lives, nice people, those who go to church a lot, honest, moral folk. Remember, there are two terrorists on either side of Jesus. And Luke tells us that the first terrorist hurled insults at Jesus. The actual word is blasphemy. He blasphemed Jesus. Some Messiah you are. Save yourself, save us. And that cry still goes up from many people about God today. 
if you're the Christ and you're supposed to be all-powerful and all-loving, why don't you help me? You should be working things out for me. You should be finding solutions to the problems of my life. Since you are smoothing out my issues and since you're not coming to my rescue at my beck and call, you must not really be God. We place the blame on God. We justify ourselves, our actions, our resentment toward God and our lives. Now, admittedly, it's hard to believe God in God when he's hanging on a cross. He doesn't look very powerful. Sure doesn't look like he needs to be taken seriously. But Jesus doesn't defend himself. He's silent all the while. But the other terrorist says, don't you fear God? Don't you realize that he is getting the same punishment as as we are? Think about it. Christ is being executed. The world is killing absolute innocence. Get your mind around that. Don't Don't we get upset? Don't we get angry when we hear a story of someone who has been incarcerated for, for many, many, many years, their freedom taken away from them, and then we find out they were totally innocent? Or don't we get angry, don't we get upset when we see an innocent life taken in some senseless act of violence? Well, Christ, the Lamb of God, dying on the cross, is that times a million. This second terrorist sees himself as worthy of his punishment. He knows who he is. He knows what he's done. He knows how his life has been. This repentant terrorist crucified next to Jesus sees eternity in front of him. That's the next stop, eternity. And he makes a confession of faith of sorts, doesn't he? First, he admits his guilt. We deserve what we're getting. He acknowledged the justice of his being executed, and he just casts himself on Christ. And he also prays, Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's a good prayer for all of us to have on our lips, I think. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that prayer only makes sense if Jesus can indeed bring him into his kingdom. This terrorist believes that the one who's hanging next to him can do this. What does he see, I wonder, that the other terrorist doesn't see? That second terrorist believes Jesus has a kingdom. And he believes that there's more after he dies. And that how one ends up after they die has everything to do with that man hanging and suffering next to him. And we might say, well, isn't this sweet? Jesus saves those types. Don't sentimentalize this criminal. What if he was the guy who violated you? Who killed your family members? Who attacked your children? Who devastated your life? Would you want him in paradise? Because I know we all figure we have reservations there, right? No questions about that, huh? This is the type of person we do everything we possibly can to keep away from us and everything and everyone we love. And rightly so. People did not get crucified in Rome for a misdemeanor, okay? No, you were rotten. No church would accept this man. I wouldn't accept him. He's on the most wanted list. 
And is it this easy to get into paradise? Is it this easy to be with Jesus for eternity? He will just take any violent terrorist at the last second. Today, you'll be with me. Um, Does Jesus really mean that? Does he want to check the sources and the background of this guy first? Today, you'll be with me. You know, sometimes Jesus makes getting into the kingdom so hard. He makes it sound so hard. For example, one time he said, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Only a few. Another time he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Well, my chances just went down. He said, unless you take up your cross daily and follow me, unless you lose your life, Forget it. You try to save your life, you'll lose it. And yet here, it seems so easy. Live a life of violence and brutality, get saved at the last moment. And that's why the cross, and that's why grace is so offensive to us. This repentant, terrorist, criminal, thief, casts himself on Jesus and he asks for grace and he asks for mercy and he asks for forgiveness realizing he deserves none of it. And he has promised to be with Jesus. He has promised paradise. Should our action, should our reaction be, oh, how wonderful. Shouldn't it be like, Jesus, are you really letting him in? And if it's people like that are going to your kingdom, then I just don't know. How far does Jesus reach? (laughs) How far does his love and grace go for the rebellious, for the immoral, for the cruel? Don't sleepwalk through this passage. Please don't. Please don't sleepwalk through these verses. You know, people complain that Jesus welcomed sinners and ate with them. Now we can complain that the Savior welcomes sinners and he dies with them too. Our being appalled that Jesus would let him in surely, I think, says something about the way we see ourselves. That's what's really a comment about how we see ourselves. I said in Ash Wednesday, I'm using a book called Thank God It's Friday by Will Willimon, the preacher, to help me in these sermons on the seven last words. And he wrote this. He says this. He says, it never occurred to us that the worst of the sinners are those of us who do not know our sin, and the worst of the lost are those who do not know how lost we really are. Let me run that by you again. It never occurred to us that the worst of the sinners are those of us who do not know our sin, and the worst of the lost are those who do not know how lost we really are. We might have something to learn from this repentant bandit. I mean, we have made excuses for our behavior that is opposed to the way of God. We've rationalized our sin. We have no shame for our immorality. We are comfortable with our apathy. And this terrorist just casts himself on Jesus. He knows he's not worthy of heaven, but he pleads for it anyway because eternity is not something to be wrong about. There's another preacher who... I give my ear to. She's from New York City. Her name is Fleming Rutledge, and she wrote this. 
it was not only for the bandits and for the bad elements on the other side of the civilized divide. It was for us, too. With our masks of innocence and our delusions about our own righteousness, his death was for us, too. Today you will be with me in paradise. That's what I want to hear when I take my last breath and when my heart takes its last beat. And I don't know when my today is going to be. Where will you end up? With Jesus or apart from him? What happens with this dying terrorist tells me that paradise is for those who cast themselves on the mercy of the Lord and say, you know, I deserve death, I deserve punishment, but would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And the good news is that, the good news is that he will. He'll do it. Romans 5, 8, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's an old hymn that lodged in my heart some years ago. I haven't sung it much since. It's called, maybe you know it, There's a Wideness in God's Mercy. The first verse goes, There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. Have you ever seen the sea? There's a kindness in His justice which is more than liberty. There is welcome for the sinner, more graces for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in His blood. The mercy of our Lord is a wide mercy. And I'm glad His mercy is so wide that it can welcome even a repentant terrorist into paradise because if that is true, then it is wide enough even to welcome me. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, we ask that you would have as much mercy on us as you had on this criminal who died next to you. We ask that you would remember us, we raggedy, presumptuous, cocksure people in your kingdom, and allow us to be with you in paradise. Lord, make this word that you spoke from the cross a word for us, too. Forgive us of our sins, the smaller sins, but nevertheless, the real acts of violence that we can do, too. And never let us justify ourselves. Lord, we stand at the cross. Amen.